Welcome back, one and all, to Above the Clouds, the Chicago Sky podcast for War Media. I am, as always, your host, Chris Pennant, Chicago Sky beat reporter for War Media, and I'm joined here by the Don of the season, bringing the media coverage in the Chicago's homes all season long, Madeline Kenny of the Chicago Sun-Times, who was fantastic um, on, on press row this year for for the uh, – just covering the sky for, and, and – Brought brought the news to everybody, day, not not only week in week out like I did day in day out, and still covering the team as the world as the World Cup as the America Cup I uh, apologize is going on right now in the USA with the Sky players on that. Madeline, glad to have you on. Good to be here, and you're too kind with that intro. It was a party on press row, to be honest. It consisted of some really good personalities, I would say. Yeah, it was a lot of fun for me too. Um, I, I tried to put I tried to put Capri Sun Club in the spotlight as much as I could. I wish that I wish it got some more time. Of course, like you couldn't make it. You, you weren't cool enough to be a part of it, huh? No, nah, that's how it goes, you know. And it, it's it's funny. Maybe next season. Maybe maybe it, it's it's funny, you know. I I was talking to I think uh, Brooke Weisbrod about how I've wanted to be a radio, like a radio TV play-by-play broadcaster. And I was saying to her, it's like, I understand. There should be a woman in that spot, no doubt, but I would love to do it. And it was kind of funny to me that Capri Sun Club was the women who were covering the sky. And even if I wasn't in it, it still made sense, you know? Yeah, it was just a, like a fun little thing, you know? Well, Madeline, um, get down to it. The sky season's been over for about a week now, so I think myself and everybody has had some time to readjust to normal life after the incredibly painful way the season ended for them. But just to recap the 2019 season overall, you were there from start to finish. What was, what was your opinion of the team's journey through this year? I mean, if you think all the way back from last November when coach James Wade coach and general manager James Wade was hired um, there was this sense that they were the textbook definition of a rebuild team right they missed the playoffs they fired their head coach GM hired a new one that had little experience had a lottery pick that could be a game changer for their team and they just seemed like the textbook definition of a rebuild team However, ever since Wade came into play, he said that's not the case. He made it very clear, like, you know, we're going to the playoffs. We're, we have a playoff caliber roster. And so seeing the transformation of the, the team throughout the season, it just became more evident that this talent had always been there. Granted, some players made some awesome strides in year two of their development, including Gabby Williams, Jackson Shields, and Sue Du. But – it just seems like Wade was able to kind of rally the troops and have them buy into what he was selling them. And um, as a result, it ended up being one of their more, most successful seasons in franchise history. And I, I couldn't have put it any better myself. It, those strides that you talk about, I think now we, as, as we, you and I as journalists and then uh, fans even, it almost seems – like it was supposed to happen the way it did with the way that the team finished out and the way that they came so close to making the semifinals because those players that were supposed to perform 
uh, for the most part, other than other than say Courtney Vandersloot in that final game, who still made it a great game. They performed as expected as Thudu hit that three to give the sky the lead and was all over the place all night. Uh, Kalia Copper continued her growth that first half, really keeping the team ahead. Diamond DeShields was a one-on-one force, and Gabby Williams and the rest of the bench were, were present. But you're right. At the beginning of the season, there were all these different question marks, and they just turned into, well, for lack of a better term, exclamation points by the end of it. Yeah, and there was just a lot of, you know, how it seemed like there was a lot of moving parts, but it wasn't a well-oiled machine. So how were they going to make this team, you know, have the chemistry to be able to come together and play together? Because last season, they really, I, that was a problem of it, is that they really, they were close to seem like they were this season, but it just seemed like something was off. You know, whether it wasn't they, they didn't buy into maybe what Amber Stotts was preaching and as Courtney Vandersloot said at the beginning of the season, it almost was like they established a, or they lacked a winning culture is what she said. So, like, if you don't have a winning culture, you establish, like, a losing culture almost, meaning that you're content to, to lose and, you know, who cares? Um, and so I think they really nipped that in the butt early and made it clear, we're not going to sit around and just pity party ourselves. We're going to go after it. We lose, we rebound. And I think you even saw that development throughout the season. You know, players feeling like the sky was underrated. And every time they got a big win, Diane Parker especially would always be like, this is a statement. Like, we're not, we're not here for you to mess – like, we're not here to mess around. We are here and we have high hopes for the future. And they should have high hopes. They have a really bright future with a lot of talent. And it, it's going to be a really interesting offseason, though, you know, because you – wonder who Wade's going to bring back. Because realistically, it's going to be really hard to bring back all seven players who are on uh, their contracts expired. Because that's a lot of money. And I know it's like the WNBA and free agency is a little bit different, but you got to realize Courtney, Allie, and Stephanie are already all on those upper maxed out contracts. And then you're going to, Aliyah's going to want some more money, most likely. And so it's just going to be interesting to see, you know, how Wade values players from a monetary standpoint. And maybe he thinks that there's a cheaper option for a player like Stephanie Dolson, where they can say, you know what, we saw what John Tell was able to do. He still has her under control for another season. We have Cheyenne Parker under control for another season. We want Katie Lee Hamilton to make this big jump in her development, and she'll have the opportunities this offseason in France. And so you wonder how that's all going to play into, you know, or how it's all going to factor in this offseason leading into next season. And I'm really glad that you brought that up because I was thinking about that just after the, the game a couple of Sundays ago because it's, it's hard to make that second year, especially when you don't have, when you have lighter expectations or no expectations, it's very easy to out to outshine those because people were were looking for something and you did you, you surpassed it. The next year the expectations increase and they grow, and like you're saying, Kalia Copper is going to want more money. And uh, there's there's a good term that I found in in a, in a book that Bill Simmons wrote. He calls it the disease of more, where that second year, if a team wins the championship the year after, it's harder because guys who were 
people, players who were used to their roles kind of want more. They want either more playing time, more money, more more uh, space in the spotlight. And even teams that don't win the championship have to deal with that. So I was really thinking, what is James Wade going to do? And if you can expand on that even more, because a lot of people don't know how the salary cap in the WNBA works or with the, the franchise player tag that um, the sky have had trouble with in the past with Elena Deladon and Sylvia, Fa- uh, Sylvia Fowles that didn't want that. What do you think the ramifications of that are going to be in the offseason? I mean, a lot of it is weighing heavy on the CBA negotiations that are going on right now. I don't think, I mean, free agency competitions can't start until January, and free agency isn't officially open up until February. Mm-hmm. But even then, if the CBA is not in play, it's not something all agreed upon, I don't think you're going to see any movement in the free agency market until something is set in place. Um, because that the CBA is going to affect the salary cap. It's going to affect the contract. Players, because as we all know, that's one of the issues that they're fighting for is more money. Um, and so what, what interested me, because here's my first year covering the WNBA, is when a star player's contract expires, let's say in the NBA, you're thinking, oh, my God. Like, remember the return for LeBron James? Oh, yeah. Like, how hyped up that was? It, it's all about following the money almost, you know, where who's going to pay me the most? And, and yeah, NBA has salary caps and everything, but it's totally different because there isn't max contracts. And they're getting paid so much more money than the WNBA players are. So, realistically, it's, it's not un, like it's extremely common for players to re-sign with whatever team they're on because they're content or happy with where they are, or maybe they see the bright future ahead. And there's not as much movement in the WNBA free agency market, or there's not as big of a splash, I guess you could say, or, you know, appeal to it, like testing the waters. Because even if you test the waters, you know that you're limited on what you can get. Definitely. And I think that that was something that in the the article uh, that came out this season about – uh, Courtney and Allie's relationship, and they made a point of saying that they both signed one-year deals. When I talked to James Kay on his podcast, a lot of our conversation didn't resolve didn't revolve around are they moving to where the money is going to be. It was are they moving to where the best fit or where their family is. Kind of like how Elena went to Washington so she could be close to her sister and be on a team that was kind of primed to make a deep run in the playoffs. Not necessarily they were going to be able to pay her the most. Yeah, and I think that the fact that Allie and Courtney got a home in Deerfield, that kind of makes it clear that they Definitely. want to stay in Chicago. And, I mean, Allie's family is here, and they come to most of the games, if not all of them. Um, Courtney's kind of established a family fan base, friend base here. Um, she's been here since 2009. And, and I asked Courtney, you know, want to stay in the sky what what do you want she said she's Chicago for life like she would like to stay in the sky and then I asked Allie about you know Wade was saying the reason why or his long-term plan was to replace Allie Wrigley and so I asked Allie like what's up with it like first off did you know about that but secondly are you planning on retiring anytime soon like are you like you're getting to that age 
I mean, she is 23, so she's three years young. Um, but she basically said that she's not going to make a decision on next season and resigning anywhere or signing anywhere until at least halfway through freshman year. Okay. And I, I, I fully understand, like, that it's a grueling job to be a WNBA, a woman's professional woman's basketball player, because you're playing year-round. And what that has on your body, you know, just like the, the breakdown of your cartilage and your joints and all the lactic. I mean, I just think of, like, how sore you have to be all the time and how just, like, even physically, mentally, emotionally exhausting that can be. Like, Allie and Courtney got married last December, and then they went off to their respective countries to play. They never even got, like, a honeymoon. Right. That's crazy, you know? Um, and so, I, yeah, I really don't know what the future holds for Courtney and Allie, and by looking at what they said, you feel like they'll be back next year in Chicago. Right, I I think so, uh, but I guess I guess only time will tell. This is uh, Chica- this is above the clouds, the Chicago Sky podcast for Warm Media. It's here talking with sometime Chicago Sky beat reporter Madeline Kenny. Uh, very quickly before we go into the to the WNBA playoffs as they've gone and as they're going now that the finals are set. I didn't really enter into my head before now, but with the knowledge that you have, with the time that you spent talking with uh, Kathy Engelbert, with Annie on, on your podcast. Do you think, however slight the chance might be, do you think that there could be a delay at the, to the start of next season with the CBA negotiations in this offseason? I mean, you can't rule it out. And there's been several players that said that they would be willing to have a lockout for next season um, to get a, a solid CBA in place. Here's the thing. First off, I really don't think – I think Kathy Engelberg is an extremely smart uh, businesswoman, and she's not going to allow that to happen. Because I really don't think the WNBA can afford to allow that to happen. So although it's definitely possible, I don't think that there's going to be a lockout next year. But I think that they're going to find some common ground. And even if this is just a short-term CBA, they're going to find some common ground to be able to make next season work. And I'd, I'd certainly hope so because I I can't even I can't even stomach a lockout. But just thinking about it, I I like you said, it's very much possible. I'm moving on to the playoffs as they have gone. We had some fantastic games, just as we had a fantastic season. And that's not even talking about that Sky Aces game that went down to the literal wire. Um, we we don't have to re- we don't have to revisit that. Everybody's seen it. We're gonna see the shot um, over and over in coverage leading up to next season. But definitely some storylines, not the least of which was the third game, the the series clinching game between the Sun and the Sparks, in which the Sparks starters sat for most of the last quarter, if not the second half. I didn't get a chance to see all of that game because I was busy, but uh, put it put it this way, this is how the WNBA's focus has grown. I was in the Chicago Media League softball playoffs on Monday, and I was on I was playing first, and some guys were on base, and we were talking about that during the game about how we couldn't believe Derek Fisher like left his starters on the bench in an elimination game. 
what happened? Do you have any comprehension of why he was doing that? I think it was that, 12. Well, and people brought it up too. Um, I think it was Michelle Vopel. She ran down the interview process last year, which was basically they let go of Brian Agler, the longtime coach uh, in the WNBA. And I think Derek Fisher was hired about 30 days later that month. But she, Penny Toller said that there was only one candidate con- considered. And then his first season with a team that, overcame some, you know, some difficulty to make it to the playoffs and be a dark horse candidate for the finals. I, I, I just didn't, I didn't get it at all. Definitely. The um the the Cheney Ogomwake trade didn't didn't have the, quite the impact that they thought it would. And on the other side, the team that she left, the Connecticut Sun, are in the finals now and they've been using that word disrespect all playoffs long. And to some I mean, they were a top two team most of the season, but how do you feel about that? Do you think that, that label that they've given themselves is warranted? Or was this a team that was finals bound from from day one? Uh, what do you mean? Do you like react what you mean? Well, so the Connecticut Sun. For the sun or yeah, for the... Oh, for the Sun, yeah. Most most. Yeah, I mean, I think that. Go ahead, you got it. Go ahead, sorry. Um, I think that the Sun were extremely smart in the way that they handled things. Obviously. Um, the trade that happened at the beginning of the season was kind of forced upon them. They just kind of had to do it. Um, but they also made that great trade with Dwayne right before the trade deadline. So I think that the way that the Suns have been able, the Sun has been able to handle the season, um, and granted, you can't overlook the material on a team like Junko Jones, the all-star game. You know, like they, there's, there's so much talent on that roster that it doesn't surprise me that they're in the finals. It's going to be a very exciting finals. Uh, On the other side, the Washington Mystics have just outpaced every historic team in the WNBA in terms of uh, win percentage and uh, point differential, so many different offensive categories. And even then, in a 3-1 series win against the Aces, they had to kind of 
make some make some some surges in order to keep Las Vegas from pushing it to a fifth game. What's your opinion on the finals matchup, and who do you think is going to be uh, NBA Finals WNBA Finals champion at the end of the season? I mean, I think it's going to be a really close, fun series to watch, but I think that's just the way the Mystics have been playing, and for also they've gotten so much rest in the last like couple of weeks because they had two buys to start off the playoffs, and then they slept. The, or no, excuse me, I'm. But they have had some time off before they play on Sunday that they're going to be well-rested. A lot of Della Dawn is seen. Um, there's a reason why she's MVP almost unanimously. Um, there's just so much power on that team. That roster is so deep. You have so many different offensive weapons. And then on defense, they're also up there as like one of the better defensive teams. So I just think even on like an off night for a lot of Deladon, which an off night for a lot of Deladon is what, like 18 points still. Yeah, probably. Um, they, just, they just have so much body to follow her up, and they have so much, so many different, you know, like I said, people that can step up and make big plays when needed. And Emma Meese, I mean, I think even when, before the, before the trade, I remember covering this guy a few years back, and Emma Neesman is such a key piece for that team in the fact that she's just a forward who can just shoot the lights out and then still in this league at this at this time, rebounding and inside defensive presence is such a, a useful commodity to have and she provides that as well. You know, even even as she's more of a more of a finesse power forward you might say, she's just still a a very, very important part of that team. Really quick, as we're coming to the end of our of our interview, once again, thank you for coming on. I want to go back a little bit earlier to something that you said about uh, winning culture that James Wade brought to the sky. And sports is filled with these different buzzwords and phrases that are kind of used to wrap things into a neat little bow. But I want you to expound on that if you can about what exactly that means, that winning culture that he brought, because it was present around the team. You could feel it at the games and the stands and the post games, win, wins and losses. But what did you see that exemplified what that culture was? I mean, from talking to players on what happened last season versus this season, it was just a matter of more accountability and knowing that even if, you know, Wade yells at you in a practice or something, it's not personal. Like, he, at the end of the day, he loves his players and he is he wants the best for his players. I think that's like any great coach. You can see that at college with Coach Fiorana. He's the same exact thing where he, he pushes his coaches or his players to be, um, he pushes them really hard. But at the end of the day, it's not personal. It's just business. And I think that's the biggest change in by the season is that they're held to a higher standard. And Wade has treated into them that they – believe that they're one of the best teams and that they can go out and beat any team. They, I mean, they did that this season. They beat the Mystics and the Suns. So, I mean, it's that Aces-Sky series, not to be, like, trained that back up, 
best of five series, it was a really good chance for Sky could have made it pretty far in the playoffs or further than what they did. I mean, second round is still an accomplishment at the end of the day. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. And, you know, not to be too much of a fan, but just in watching that team, they played Las Vegas tough. I mean, the only team that they had trouble with other than that game against the Wings, uh, was was the Mystics, the team that everybody had trouble against. And, I mean, for 14 seconds, well, for about, for, for about, for about 10 seconds, the Sky were on their way to the semifinals. And it was just one missed call, one bad play, I guess. I mean, it was more than just the one call, one bad play. It was a matter of they had the game in the bag, and then they just let it go. That game was an entire, I mean, not to be the but it was a game of runs where they should, they had it, they won it at halftime. You know, they and there was they were up by I can't remember how many points it was, but it was double digit points multiple times. They had they had double digit leads and then they gave it up. So that was the size game to lose. And ultimately, it was by Courtney Vandersloot that I don't anyone watching why in the heck did she throw that? I mean. They try to defend it by saying, oh, she purposely threw it right down the line because that way any defender that comes in is going to have the momentum to force out of bounds. But isn't it like basketball 101 not to throw the ball over your head while you're leaning like that? Yeah. So it, it was so uncharacteristic of her, and it was the biggest moment of her season. And we like don't have answers for it, you know? We don't know what was going through her head or what she saw. And way too safe, you know, Andy's foot was out, she was out. That's okay. It's not going to change at the end of the day. Why did, Why was that pass even thrown? Why, why not just take the foul, foul out the lead? If, I mean, if Courtney makes back-to-back fouls, you have a four-point lead. There's no way they're going to come back unless you foul. Yeah, that's a good so. point. I, I know a lot of people, were, myself included, were wondering why, he didn't, why she didn't just take the foul. And you're right. Don't jump to throw a pass especially in that situation. So it was, I mean. Yeah, I'm, jump in, like maybe do like a chest pad, like I just feel like over the head, tomahawk style, and it's so, you don't have as much control. And definitely a, a player like Hamby is going to sniff that out. I'm sure it's going to come up yeah. in next season, uh, at the either, either at or before the first media day. And I was wondering, I'm wondering, because I want to be at that, to see how Courtney responds. But again, Madeline, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, Madeline Kenny, again, of the Chicago Sun-Times, Chicago Sky Beat reporter, Loyola grad. So I look forward to those Loyola Bradley games this year, basketball in the, in the wintertime. Um, again, thanks for, thanks for coming on. Madeline, uh, please, if they don't already know, let the people know how they can find you on Twitter and social media. All right, thanks again. Once again, this is Above the Clouds, the Chicago Sky podcast for War Media. I am Christopher Pennant. You can find me on Twitter at Quandary Kitten. That's K-W-A-N-D-A-R-Y Kitten on Twitter. Until next time, folks, be good and do great things. Keep your head above the clouds.